Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Triumph Over Trauma show. I'm your host, Chris Gear, And as a reminder, uh, we share stories of everyday people and how they've overcome adversity so we can learn from each other how to better overcome adversity in our own lives. And I'm excited to share that today we're joined by a special guest, Mr. Kenny Robinson. He is the founder and executive director of Freedom Fighting Missionaries in the Charlotte, North Carolina area which is a nonprofit that assists formerly incarcerated and justice-involved individuals. So, yeah, real, real, real excited. So, actually, I, I um, was connected with Kenny based on a common mutual connection we have through my son's basketball team. I was, I was speaking with another parent um, about some things that they were working on, some things I was working on, and we said, you know, we said this could be a good, good connection. So, Kenny, I'm glad you made the time. I know you've got a lot going on, a lot of good things. Um, but, yeah. If you're if you're you're if you're ready to go, we can jump right into it. Love for you to, to share. All right, let's do it. Love for thank you to share 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 a story or two of yours. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. You got it. And I am Kenny Robinson. I'm the executive director and founder of Freedom Fighting Missionaries. Again, a nonprofit organization that uh, I founded in 2020 to assist the formerly incarcerated, justice-involved individuals um, in Charlotte, North Carolina covering the entire Mecklenburg uh, County. This is work that uh, comes from my own lived experience and my own personal journeys, uh, overcoming exactly what you stated, um, adversities. Many of those adversities for those of us um, in our community, the black community, started for us in the womb, right? And, um, Unfortunately for many of us, I'm 44 years old, so that made me a child in the 80s and a teenager in the 90s. Um, so some of the most difficult times um, to be a child and be uh, a teenager, targeted uh, by the criminal justice system to fill beds in prisons throughout the United States of America. And as we all know from um, the impact of mass incarceration, that those who intended for us to land in those prison beds have been very successful. A little known, uh, unknown fact is that, you know, close to 90% of the people who enter into a jail or a prison are at some point released. Uh, and what happens then? So for me and my own personal journey, having served 10 years in federal prison at a young age, I went in at 24 years old and got out at 34 years old, father of five children at that time. So my, uh, my oldest daughter was uh, seven turning eight when I uh, went in and was uh, a senior in high school when I got out. And of course, then immediate need. So that journey began for me upon release in Charlotte, North Carolina uh, in 2012 with limited uh, education on paper, um, having completed the ninth grade education and then got a GED, limited to no uh, work history on, on paper at a time that the country was coming out of a uh, recession. Limited to no uh, resources for those of us uh, who have a criminal background. And you're talking about uh, in a country where you're, you're almost less than a man when you can't vote, right? So many people who have a felony conviction 
in the states that they are in are not allowed to vote. In the states that you can retain your voting rights back, it's also uh, always a struggle to do so. So when you can't vote, why would the politicians talk to you? Why would they provide funding um, for you to regain your life back? Um, and what that meant for me was uh, 40 interviews and 40 no's in a row uh, when I got out as I was seeking employment. And when I did finally get employment, it was because I simply had a good counselor um, at a good year pro good, Goodwill program that I was a part of. And she fought very hard for me to get employment. I got my first job at a Goodwill making $7.25 an hour with uh, five children in, in the immediate need. So from there, um, you know, I kept on pushing, taking classes. They say, hey, if you get the forklift certification, we'll get your job. That didn't work. If you take this, if you do that, I did all of those things. And eventually was able to beg my way into a car dealership uh, where I was uh, given an opportunity as a salesperson. Uh, and Chris, I tell everybody when I'm telling this story that, you know, one of the biggest differences in um, life changing events for me once, once I got that job was that the digital divide was immediately broken, right? I was sat down at a desk in front of a computer with the internet which means that, you know, I had an opportunity to learn and grow like never before in, in history. Because otherwise, you're going to need to know the Dewey Decimal System. Go to a library, check out a book, read it, comprehend it, then get out there in the world and apply it. The Internet removes all of that. And I was able to uh, quickly learn and became a top salesperson there in the dealership within six months. And I took that, and um, within um, two and a half years, I was promoted up to a finance manager and eventually a sales manager, which then, uh, Chris, allowed me the ability to hire and have an uh, influence on who was hired in the dealerships that I was working at. And after asking the owners if they would you know, be willing to give more people a second chance opportunity, that was provided uh, to us. And I was able to assist uh, over a dozen individuals gain um, employment and not just have a job, but have a career. Many of them went on to become managers and homeowners. And I became known in the community for doing such and being um, an inspiration and just providing hope to those in the community. Receiving calls and messages through social media like my mom's finally getting out of prison. It's been 12 years. Or my uncle, my brother, my cousin, my daughter. And we want them to be like you, right? They're smart. They just need an opportunity. Can you help them or can you talk with them? So I just became known in the community for, for doing that. And in 2019, once I hit the glass ceiling, because unfortunately, they're glass ceilings for many of us in, in this country. Um, you would never own a dealership, Kenny. One percent of all of the dealerships in the history of dealerships have been black owned and operated. Right. So you'll never own a dealership. Uh, you should be happy um, with where you've come from and what you obtained. And I was unfulfilled. 
So I retired from that profession in December of 2019 to launch Freedom Fighting Missionaries uh, in 2020, uh, January of 2020. From there, uh, you know, a new nonprofit organization, Black-led by somebody formerly incarcerated, and again, representing uh, a population that can barely vote. Right, so uh, great idea, great plan, great mission, but where are you going to get the funding from? Right, because a nonprofit organization is a business, right, and there's you know business aspects to it, and you're going to need a staff, you need supplies, you need funding, right? Uh, so we sat out looking for funding from banks and the local government and foundations and. You know, we kept hitting uh, roadblock after roadblock. Right? Again, you're a new organization. So no funding for us in 2020. Then COVID came. Then they murdered George Floyd in that way and many others. We were in an election year that year. right? So just a lot of things that made my job tougher, where I had set out to assist maybe five to 10 individuals a month. By May, that quickly jumped up to 50 to 60 individuals. And outside of those with the background, the elderly, single mothers with children were reaching out for our support. Uh, and we were able to provide that support primarily from the, the community. So we were able to raise around 178,000 in 2020 and assist around 57 individuals. Uh, we pushed over into 2021 and we received our first um, big grant from the behavioral health care system because I was able to uh, reach out to the CEO of the behavioral health care system at that time. He came down and met with me and listened to my story and allowed me the opportunity to, uh, to speak to their executive board for a community reinvestment grant. And I argued to them, Chris, that if you are black, have a criminal background, and are a Charlotte native, that in fact you have a disability equivalent to a blind man, right? But the difference is the blind man has somewhere to go. He can go over there to the place for the blind and they'll help him there. A person exiting out of jail or prison had nowhere to go with no valuable resources for the most basic things. So um, they heard my cries and they gave us our first um, grant that was 100000 which allowed me to hire two staff members, do some more marketing and um, advertising and fundraising, and to formalize our program into four phases, uh, which are identifications, healthcare, employment, and housing. So those are the four key areas that that we, we focus on. Uh, we pushed hard throughout that year, uh, advocating for, for healthcare around the COVID-19 vaccine and a lot of uh, things that were going on with COVID where those in our community were being left out of information to make a proper informed decision, whichever that way that would be. Uh, so in 2021, we ended up raising close to 400,000 
and was able to assist around 150 individuals that year. That success and credibility in the community did allow us to seek government funding. And um, in 2022, March of 2022, we, uh, we were awarded 750,000 from Mecklenburg uh, County to our program, which again, allowed me to hire more staff, formalize our program, get us an office to work out of uh, and grow and expand. We also received emergency housing vouchers, Section 8 vouchers directly from, uh, from HUD. This was the first time that that had ever been done in Mecklenburg County because normally to get a Section 8 voucher, one reason to not get one is to have a background, right? So we were uh, able to get 18 vouchers and we have housed 11 uh, families with those vouchers so far. And all of the work that we were able to do in 2022 caught the attention of a local church who decided that uh, they, they wanted to donate a portion of their land to us to construct our own housing. They charged us a dollar for it. And um, we were recently awarded uh, a grant from the city of Charlotte for 297000 to support home ownership, buying financial literacy and credit repair. And then we received $1.3 million from the county to go towards our construction project. So we've been out here advocating and pushing really hard for those who are justice involved to at least have an opportunity at self-sufficiency. And as you, you know, stated in the introduction, that has you know, given us credibility throughout the community where again, nothing is better than word of mouth in, um, in this country. And you know that is what brought me to this show. That's just a snippet of the work that we have um, done, but it should give you an idea of the impact that we have had here in Charlotte. What an incredible, incredible story, especially, you know, I'm a big fan of when, when people take their pain, their suffering, and then put that to work in the service of other people, right? When they, when they create purpose from that and you're just, you're modeling that. What a, what a great example um, for others. And I mean, I, I know you, you touched on it, you know, reentering society, you know, a lot of challenges, a lot of challenges. One of them, I, I heard you, you know, 40 job interviews, 40 no's, right? So if you could, you know, I'm sure that that wasn't the only thing you had to deal with, but just for those of us who haven't been in those shoes, you know, this is a huge, huge obstacle you had to overcome. And then many people, right, just today, I'm sure there's someone just today that just got released and is trying to figure this out. And that's why you're out in the community doing this. But if you could talk a little bit more about what are some of the biggest challenges you personally, you know, experienced, right? I heard the job, but, you know, as far as reentering society, uh, as well as, you know, if, if mental health had any play in that as well, because I know that, you know, th th there could be an angle there as well. That is correct. So um, the things that are, you know, the, the, the biggest barriers are some of the most basic things, right? An identification, right? You don't just get out of jail or prison and walk into your local DMV and demand an identification. You're going to need birth certificate. You need social security card, proof of residence. Um, and that is a barrier. And it's a cost involved with it. So um, that was a hurdle. Healthcare, 
you don't get Medicaid just because you got out of prison. They'll give you family planning Medicaid, which means you get one physical a year and a box of condoms, right? Um, and nothing in healthcare is more important than preventative healthcare, right? So just being able to go to the doctor in a dignified way, which means that you didn't have to wait till your stomach hurt so bad that you had to go to the emergency room, right? That you could have, you know, normal follow-up checkup visits. Um, and then, like I stated, next from there would be employment. Uh, where did you find that? How is it sustainable? Nobody in this country can survive on now less than $15 an hour. But how do you make it off of $7.25, right? How do you find housing and support your family? and all of the basic things that you need for survival. And then where do you live, right? And how do you maintain that and have any hope to grow? In most cases, you do not do any of those things, right? Because there just wasn't a true pathway designed for individuals like myself to be able to go to one place. And this is the place who specifically work with individuals who have had, you know, criminal justice involvement. What does that do to a person's mental health, right? Well, what, what nothing is more discouraging than being told no one time, right, when you're really trying. But 40 times, everywhere you go, job, housing, healthcare, no, 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 no. You're carrying this burden upon your back of this background having to tell your story everywhere you go and still get told no. What does that do to one's mental health? Well, I mean, I struggle with, with that myself. So for the first year, depressed, right, and severe anxiety and um, trouble interacting in, in large social settings. And like I explained it to our clients now, Chris, having been there two months out, six months out of prison, Right, there's this feeling that we have, right? And the best way that I can explain it is it's like having a hole in your sock, right? And because you can feel it, you think everybody else can see it, right? And it's that feeling of walking around like everybody can see where you have come from and what you're going through. Um, so what do you do with that, right? Do you just walk into the behavioral health care Place and ask for help, well, there's no help available for that. And there's no way to really classify what a, what a man or a woman goes through after exiting um, jail and, and prison. So, I mean, I had to draw on um, my spiritual beliefs, right? I had to um, look upon the faces of my children and find a way to keep pushing, right? I had to hide what I was feeling on the inside, Right. Nobody wants to be identified as crazy or losing your mind or institutionalized. Right. So I, I, I hit all of those things until, it, you know, you get to a point to where it affects your physical body. Right. And then you have to find something to, to do with that. That is an ongoing struggle. Right. Mental health uh, has become more of a topic amongst the black community, specifically amongst black men. Um, it's not stigmatized as much, right? Um, there's separation between uh, psychiatric disorders versus just needing a therapist, right? There's now an understanding of um, P 
PTSD and the many forms that it comes in, uh, anxiety uh, disorders, uh, you know, are categorized and put into a place in specific therapy and treatment uh, for that now exists where 10 years ago, I mean, if you said the word mental health, it just meant you were crazy, right? And there needs to be a pill for you to take. So all of those things, you know, I experienced personally and am now able to guide others through, around, over, and under that. Yeah, it makes, it makes, it makes perfect sense. And I appreciate you walking us through, right? Because unless you've been in those shoes, um, in most experiences, and this is one of those very significant ones, it's hard to know what that's like to step outside and, okay, suddenly, hey, I need an ID. I need healthcare, right? I do get sick. Right. And it's like, it sounds like people continue to, to be punished or pay a price long after the time which, which they already paid a price. And, and there probably isn't enough appreciation for that or empathy for that. And that's where I think that's where you're coming in is to provide that understanding and the resources and the support. Like we know you guys, we, you know, men and women, we know you need this support. And if there's a way we can help you is it's a beautiful thing how you're intersecting there. I had someone really close to me who served um, in Maryland for, it was, it was over a year and, you know, can relate to, you know, it wasn't the same length of sentence, but can relate to some of the things you're talking about. And, and, and I remember them getting actually working the exact same place. Goodwill is where they got, where they got employment at Goodwill is how they got started. Uh, so I'm, I'm so proud of you and you, but you know, obviously for you to find that motivation, despite, you know, taking all these hits from all these different directions and then not only to just make it for you, now you've made it bigger than you. This is much bigger than you. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of people um, that you're impacting the community, right? And this thing's just going to continue to grow. Um, and it gives people hope. I'm sure it gives people hope coming out. Um, I'd love to hear more, Kenny, about some of the, you know, you've worked with a lot of people who have probably had a lot of different experiences as far as their, not only their, their you know, incarceration, but also, you know, things they had to overcome to, to make it. You know, any, you know, obviously you don't have to give specific details out of confidentiality, but if there's any, you know, any, any things that st stick out to you, because I'm sure things like that, the real stories probably keep you going too. Like, hey, you know, this person, this happened, or we helped them do this thing. Any particular stories that jump out to you that kind of speaks to some of the things you've been able to help people with? Yes. So one of the most, uh, and there's so many of them now, right? But one of the most um, impactful one that we have been able to be a part of to help a, a family be able to move forward um, involves uh, a 25-year-old shot 13 times uh, holding his daughter in his arm right, where the gunman um, shot him out of, out of a car, realized that he didn't die, turned around, came back, shot him some more, realized that he didn't die, got out of the car, walked up on him, and shot him some more. And he still didn't did not die. Right now, the person, the victim, went into the, the hospital under many surgeries. Eventually, went to rehabilitation, where they found out that this person was homeless. Right, that um, his mother was on Section Eight, and he was not allowed to return back to his mother's house. His mother been on Section 8 for 15 years and, you know, dealing with poverty. And the hospital themselves contacted me through Facebook 
and ask me if there's any way that we could assist this young man who did have a criminal background and was homeless, right? So we, um, I went to the hospital. This was in 2021, you know, wearing a mask and taking your temperature and you got to use the sanitizer and one person on the elevator at a time, all of those things. So I went and met with him, counseled him, did mentorship with him, and then he was released to our care where we had nowhere else to put him except for an extended stay hotel, uh, where he bounced around from hotel to hotel with us, with us taking him to his appointments, his disability getting denied simply because it was a new disability case, fighting for his Medicaid and a lot of the basic things that you need to survive while recovering from 13 different gunshot wounds. No victim assistance available for him um, in Mecklenburg County. I begged the churches, I begged the district attorney's office, right? I, I begged all over the city for help and support with him. It took 18 months and $32,000 uh, before we were able to get him housed in, a, in a, an apartment in his own name, utilizing one of our housing vouchers. Uh, and we are still providing uh, supportive services to him. Uh, what made it all work, because I went through a lot, you know, trying to help this young brother out. Because, you know, when we lose a youth, right, to murder and gun violence, you wish it was something you could have done, right? Something, I, I wish it was something I could have done to save this young man's life. Where well, here's one who was saved, didn't die, and like, where's all of the support at, right? Here's one that didn't die, right? So after all I went through, what ended up making it worth it was um, when his mother uh, came to me and said, you know, Thank you so much. I prayed. I just didn't have anywhere else to turn. I wish I would have, you know, had a home to provide for my son. But thank you so much for working with him and hanging in there with us. Um, and her tears and her hug, you know, made it all, uh, all worth it. That is a powerful, powerful testimony. Whole, I mean, what an experience he went through. Jeez, I'm just, you know, hearing that story of what you just, the incident itself, but then the long, long road afterwards of, and I'm sure he's still on it, right? He will be probably for his life in recovery, but to have that support, I mean, if, if you know, if your organization is there, who knows, right? You can see how people can fall into things. People can, you know, end up in a much worse situation. So what a, what a beautiful way to impact this, this young man and his mother and all the people around him, right? And I know that story carries. I know that story carries in people here, right? And that's the reason why you're getting the funding you're getting, right? The donations for land, as you know, it's when you have an impact and a reach like that. So, and you're right. That's a really good, interesting. I like the way you describe that. There's always all the outpouring of, oh, I wish we could have done something. And then here's an example, as you said, this is someone that we can do something for. And you're out there, you're out there hustling, hustling, grinding, knocking down doors, begging, you know. What a what a beautiful situation. So that's that's um, sorry that one that one set me back a little bit. Um, when, when we think about you know for our listeners, if 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 they know someone who's you know facing incarceration, or they or they do have someone in their family who's you know in, who is incarcerated right now, because I feel like it's something that we don't talk about a lot as a society. 
but it's, it should be just another issue like anything else, right? It's just, it's another thing. It's another experience. You know, if it's, I feel like there's almost maybe some shame involved and we're not open and, and open about it enough because it does happen. We all know, you know, we all have family members. I can, you know, friends, I know multiple people I can, I can speak of, including right this moment who are serving time. And so from your perspective, Kenny, you know, what would you tell people on, on how they can maybe help someone in their network, maybe a family member or a friend, you know, provide, you know, they, they can't take away the time, but what types of things can, can we do in our own lives? Right. You know, from our own personal, you know, our own personal perspective, you know, someone may be listening who's out in, who knows, they could be out in California, right? They could be anywhere else in the world as this podcast has reached. What could they do to offer some kind of support to those, whether it's emotional or spiritual or whatever it may be, support for, to those who are, you know, incarcerated or facing incarceration? Right. And um, every time that I, I'm asked that question, the answer is the same, like that. This is not new. This goes back to biblical times, right? Where they say you ought to check on those who are in prison, right? Those who are in poverty, homeless, those who need, you ought to care for them, show some sort of support uh, for them. And in today's time, what that means is sometimes just being on the other end of the phone, right? Sometimes just sending uh, a card or some money so they can place a phone call to their family, right? And then on the other end, when they return, be the one that's willing to drive them there to the DMV and help them gather the paperwork. Something as simple as how to, you know, maneuver and operate a smartphone, right? And the importance of using a, uh, a, a laptop, right? Um, and uh, invitation to social settings and the arts, Right. And just, you know, being an advocate for that person, because it only takes one person. Right. So, like, there's many points in my life that I can just refer back to one person who cared. And that is the one person that helped me to overcome one barrier. And then when I was faced with the next barrier, there was a person who helped me to overcome that. So what I employ the listeners and people to do is just be that person in life. Right, the one that's willing to care for your fellow man, willing to help your, your fellow man, right, willing to take your time out and invest in another person with what you have to offer. A lot of times it's not financial, right? It's just general care, concern, and support. Offer that and be the one who's an impact on another's life. Um, that makes perfect sense. Um... I used to get collect calls. I used to get letters. I used to write letters. I, I know that part of it, and and you know another perspective you bring is as far as overcoming adversity. You know, you know although every listener or follower may not you know face incarceration, they may face some really really difficult trial in their life. Right? That maybe there's a lesson they can pull out of that. So, and you face you know not only just the time you face, but also the struggle afterwards and working through it and, and drew upon several sources of motivation. And it wasn't easy as you described, but any, you know, any, any tips you would, you would give to someone who's facing something really difficult that's drawn out like that. And we're talking 10 years. I mean, that takes a toll on a, on a person's mind, it takes a toll on their body, their emotions. And not everyone, you know, 
is, you know, can make it through maybe as, as you know, is, has the coping resources. So any advice you give to someone who is facing, who is facing maybe a long sentence, um, maybe it's incarceration or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's like a long military deployment. Then they're just, they're just going to be hard away from their family. something, but it's going to separation isolation and they're going to have to make it through for a long, long term because you've been in those shoes in a very, you know, specific situation, but anything you could offer. Cause you drew on, you, you shared and drew upon a few things that helped you, you know, make it through from, you know, one foot after the other. Right. And again, there's that thing that lies within us, right. That a lot of times we ignore as we are faced with uh, adversity, right. The shame that's associated with, um, you know, the difficulties that we are experiencing. Right. So, uh, you know, I always tell people and I would tell the listeners uh, right now, there's no shame in being a human being. Right. And we all we all face, you know, adversity. Right. And um, have no shame to ask for help. I'm only here because I have asked for help. Every which way that I can turn, I have asked for help. Right. Above and beyond my pride. Right. When I just simply there's nowhere to go, like I picked up a phone call. Right. I've called the 800 suicide line myself since I've been out. Right. Because I was just feeling that low and that de depressed. Right. And the person on the other end, a stranger to me, helped me make it through that day. Right. So each day is an opportunity. Right. So just make it through this day and see how you feel the next day. Right. And each day, strive to make it through the very next day that's that's in front of you. Um, and I can assure you that you will connect with the person, the one person who will help you uh, make it through. So, I mean, we're living in a time where you can't just give up. You have to keep pushing forward. There is, you know, people currently going through things that's way worse than what we're experiencing and are making it through. I draw off of that energy, right? Um, and look at myself in the mirror and say, if Joe the Panhandler can be there every day, holding up a sign, asking for help, regardless of what his vices are and what he's going to um, go through and what evils and demons and addictions that he's get, um, going through, there stands Joe, alive and living. And each day that you're alive and living is an opportunity that you can overcome your adversities. Yeah, I remember that there's a quote, I forget who said it, but you know, wherever there's life, there's hope. Um, and that, that's what I'm hearing from you. Like it, you, if you got up today, it may have been, a, yesterday must've been horrible. They could have sucked and today may not be too much better, but like there's an opportunity in, in that aspect. And I think my dad always would say, um, you know, there's always someone who has it better and there's always someone who has it worse. Just kind of keep balanced perspective, like have the perspective with it. And you also challenge us to the other side of it. You know, you don't, you, we all, we can't save everyone. We can't help everyone all the time. But what we can do is, uh, you know, when, when we're in a good spot, when we have something to offer, we can help one person with one thing. That's and right. if everybody did that, like you said, you had different people at different stages of the journey. This person helped with this thing. Like they, one person could be everything, everything for you all the time. But each person does a little thing. Man, that ripple effect was huge. Now hear it in, in your life. So we can all do that. We can all do that. Right. In different be that ways. person, Chris. You be the one. Yeah. Yeah. When somebody calls upon you, then you know you, you do you do what you can 
and your power, right? That may be financial, right? That may be a connection to another person, a reference to a book or a link, right? Or just a listen and voice, right? Sometimes we just need somebody to listen to us, not diagnose us, not, oh, if you just do this and do that, but just to listen to us. So, I mean, there's many different ways to help but be the one willing to help amen amen to that one i want so one of the things um you know ken and i you know shared is um i recently got involved with being like a, a volunteer or you know helping out at our local um you know jail facility or our detention center in charlotte and i went through the process it's like you know i have to apply and do a tour and everything like that and there's a last stage and i'll tell you it I'm bringing up because it ties exactly to something you just said. So, you know, there was, they gave us a tour and they gave us training and different officers, you know, spoke about different things to prepare us for it, to tell us about the realities, the do's and don'ts. Um, and one of the things that, that one of the officers said, really, really good guy. I've been there a long time. He said, listen, he was like, there's times that I just have a, he called a rap session, right? Not rapping though, but he would just like have the whole pod of people and just let them just come out and talk. I mean, just talk, just spit what's going on in their mind. Cause he said his experience was, what you just said, Kenny, a lot, a lot of times people just want to be heard. That's right. it. They just need to be heard. We all have a desire to be heard. You know, it doesn't matter where you are, you know, whether you've got a million dollars and you're sitting on the beach or you're, in, you know, incarcerated, you know, facing, you know, 20 years, like it's wherever you are, people just have a de that desire to be heard and understood. So if, if we can be that person to hear people, right, that's, it can be, it can be really important. And that doesn't cost a thing. Well, it costs your time, right? It costs your time, but that's it. And you're, and you're, and you're caring. So, I love it, man. I love, um, how about looking forward? Um, you mentioned a couple, you know, I'm really excited about some of the things you mentioned to me looking ahead, um, for the freedom fighting missionaries. What are some types of things that you're, you're looking at for the future? Um, you can share with, with our, with our listeners. Cause I'm really excited about some of the things you have kind of in the works, you know, you're, you're taking that kind of brick by brick and continue to build this and serve. Well, uh, one of our major focuses, um, is for the future is expanded voting rights for, um, in, uh, individuals who have been justice involved, not only here in North Carolina, but throughout the, throughout the country, right? Uh, if you're alive and, 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 and well in the United States of America, you should be able to vote. Right? Uh, no other and better way to get uh, the things that you advocate for, fight for, need, than to be able to vote and have an impact on who's going to represent you in government. Right, so we continuously um, advocating for expanded uh, voting rights. We uh, are looking to the future for expanded housing opportunities for justice-involved individuals and those who live below uh, the poverty line. We are looking and advocating for more second-chance employment opportunities that are not just your menial jobs, but where uh, a person can provide for themselves and their family and, and you know, still be able to seek the American dream and have an opportunity to have something. So those are our uh, three key focuses for the, for the future. Like I said earlier, we have um, gotten a position to be able to have our own housing. We're looking to uh, expand that and grow. This is an organization that we do plan to take to other cities throughout the North Carolina. 
And then when we leave um, North Carolina, the, the next city that I will take this program to is Memphis, Tennessee, um, and then hope to spread uh, from there. Again, working in collaboration with local government, the healthcare sector, banks, foundations, school systems, the local detention centers, um, and, and, and law enforcement, right? We have been, you know, um, advocating for more training and education for our law enforcement so they themselves can have a better understanding of the impact of the work that they do, right? Where a simple marijuana conviction, right, a simple shoplifting conviction can upend somebody's life, right? And asking for, you know, our law enforcement to be um, more than enforcement, but to be part of the community and, you know, part of the solution instead of part of the problem. So those are things that we are advocating for. Uh, you know, I know that we are all humans and, you know, I don't just, you know, single out no sector, right? Because somebody said, well, Kenny, well, they over here, they doing this and it's the police and, you know, it's the courts and it's the healthcare, right? And I said, well, I mean, you know, we'd have to shoot them all. So you can't give me a gun with one bullet and say, shoot, shoot, shoot the court system. They're the reason. Right? We'd have to take them all out. So instead of doing that, we just got to try to find ways to collaborate and work with them all in hopes of uh, some change. Yeah, I like that angle of, it sounds like you're thinking about it from a, like a comprehensive standpoint and a collaborative standpoint. It sounds like that's, you know, that's a real smart move for how to make change, you know, real lasting change. Um, and for anyone who's listening, right, if you're, if you're, in those other cities in North Carolina or even Memphis, right? That's pretty exciting. Yeah. You know, so it might be a good opportunity to, you know, as, as, as the time, as it, as the time comes to get involved in some way. So yeah, as we're, we're nearing towards wrapping up, Kenny, any other thing, um, any other key takeaways uh, you wanted to share for our listeners? Uh, and, and in addition, for those who would love to follow support, keep up with all the, all the good things your organization's doing, you know, how can they follow you? How can they how can they keep in touch or, or follow what's going on? Well, what I do want to uh, make a note of for, for all of our listeners, 65% of the people that we serve are women with children. Right? So I know it's easy to think that, well, there's more men, you know, in jails and prisons than women. But the facts is what the facts are. A man who becomes employed and is, you know, serious about, uh, his transition is more likely to be able to move in with a partner or a woman, right? A woman with uh, children is less likely to be able to find a single man or single partner willing to take her and her two kids and help her build her life, right? So please um, support the work that we do, and it impacts families, right? Most of the men and women who are in these positions have children and have families that have also been impacted uh, by, you know, what they've been involved in in their, in their past and, you know, leave the past in the past and build and grow off of it for the future. The best way to contact us, support us, is by visiting our website. That's freedomfightingmissionaries.org. Right? We are on LinkedIn. 
We are on Instagram, Facebook, all under Freedom Fighting Missionary. You can now Google Kenny Robinson or Freedom Fighting Missionaries. Um, dozen of news stories will come up, um, ways to contact us, ways to support us. Uh, what we need most of all right now is just general support that's free. It is free to follow us on social media. It is free to like, share, and comment. That, you know, turns into uh, finances that we can use to support our program. And it costs you nothing to like, comment, and share, right? So we scroll past so much positive content and stop on the foolishness Right and like and comment and engage in all of those kind of uh, conversations about celebrities and all of that kind of stuff. Look right to your own community, right, and if, if nothing else, seek out the grassroots organizations, the smaller nonprofits, and follow them. Periodically, like something, share it. It goes a long way. It's so it's so easy for us to get caught, you know, because you know. The news cycle, right? The twenty-four hour news cycle of national news and, and social media. We constantly, we're, we can easily become bombarded, and we talked about this before we started by the negative messaging, right? You know, you know, Kenny was sharing before we started this, you know, this, this, uh, this session. He said, "Listen, we're doing this, we're doing that. We received this, you know, million dollar grant. I'm like, man, how did I not hear about this stuff? And it's just, you know, the the negativity sells. So, I like what you said about you know supporting your local organizations because there are. Kenny's organization. There's many organizations, you know, doing things that are positive for your local community. If 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 we take the time to seek them out, they're there, right? They're there. They're making a difference, and we can support them. We can be part of the solution. That that's basically what you said. You want to do, and you're doing it. You're doing it, brother. So, I appreciate what you're doing. I greatly, greatly value the time you're putting into this and the effort, as well as all the people. I'm sure you know. It's I'm sure it's taking a village. So and um and last plug because uh, I do follow. Uh, Kenny's um, social media. There's some really cool things he's been doing for Black History Month for, you know, highlighting people who have made a difference. So another good thing, to, you know, to, what's educational, but also inspirational provides both. So, all right. Well, thank you. Um, I will definitely be liking and commenting on some posts. Doesn't cost a dime. And uh, yeah, I, thank you for spending the time with us and, and for doing the good work you're doing. You're very welcome. And thank you for having us. We appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye.